Hello, tentative listener. We're looking for well-rounded designers to join our teams in Austin, Boston, London, Raleigh-Durham, New York, and San Francisco, who are interested in growing their design and consulting skill set over time. As a designer at ThoughtBot, you collaborate with developers and clients to turn ideas into great products that people love to use and help grow successful businesses. ThoughtBot works with companies in every step of the process to help identify and solve problems. We lead and participate in product design sprints, build high-quality apps, and then deploy them. We use emerging and effective technologies and methods on both internal and client projects. We believe there is a better way to work, and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Visit thoughtbot.com jobs to learn more about working at ThoughtBot and to apply. Did you say you have Wendy's? Yeah, I do. <laughs> did, did you get fries on a Frosty? Yeah, I did. Nice. Yeah, it's one of those days. It was like a thing. Stat. 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 It wasn't very fast either. It took a while. It's like, what the hell oh, is happening? The slowest fast food I've ever had is that Wendy's. <laughs> oh my God, it's totally a thing. And I had to save my receipt? Who the hell does that? Why did you have to save your receipt? Because call she out bought over $75 on her corporate card. And <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you're sharing. So. Yeah. I'll talk about this workshop we did. You want to not, like, not talk about Frosty and Fries? Not really. I mean, I'm uh. just going to have it be part of me. <laughs> Part of what's going on. The silent edition. (laughs) Yeah, try and be silent with it. I think the last time we talked, we talked about prepping for this 70-person design thinking workshop that we were doing this week, and we did it. You did the thing. So now we have feedback and insights and learnings. Oh, my. (laughs) Do you have learnings about the process or learnings about (laughs) the thing that you're workshopping about? Or both? The process. I actually wrote a huge retrospective on it that I'm going to probably post. As a blog post? Yeah. Well, actually, it's a really good idea. I was doing Constable, our our internal intranet platform. Give it to the people. I should. It went really well. They invited their users, like their clients to come to be part of it, which was awesome. It made it so much more valuable, I think, for them. Because you got to do like user interviews with real users and not just people pretending to be users. So that was awesome. Cool. That's hard to do this stuff, you know? <laughs> Who knew? Wrangling cats. Yeah. Well, I found that the hardest part was just you're making the schedule and all these exercises. And I really tried to pare it down as much as I could. But I could have even done more. You know, like there are people who were there who have never really even sketched before or like has had done storyboarding or has not done any designer activities or exercises. So to put everyone in a position now where you have a few hours to learn a new term and then do the term, that can be very stressful. But I also learned that people are amazing and you just kind of put a piece of paper in front of them and a pen and give them an objective and they're like, oh, okay. And they like make it happen. So that was, mm-hmm. that was pretty amazing. But I think the biggest thing I learned was spending more time with our facilitators and getting everyone prepped and ready to go and, and giving them the task of 
giving the instructions of the activities. We had this cadence where I was giving some instructions to the group at large and then be like, okay, ready, go into your breakouts. And then there wasn't much more direction from there. So people didn't know really how to start. And we we kind of picked that up pretty quickly in terms of us kind of helping moderate. So that was like a learned a quick thing we had to do. And that, in retrospect, I mean, that makes total sense. But it's interesting how you don't really... I didn't really think about that. I tried to account for a lot of other things up front, but I just forgot, you know, the the human element, all the random things that are going to happen that will happen outside of a Google Doc, you know? What does happen outside of a Google (laughs) Doc? (laughs) I don't know. But it uh, it was really interesting. Like, we did a lot of small group stuff, which was really helpful, I think, but then also... You know, I sent out a survey to get feedback from them, from like the, the attendees. And there's a couple of lines about either they would have liked more individual time. Mm-hmm. They really only worked with the same five or six people mm-hmm. the whole day. So like, it's tough though. That makes sense because it takes some time to like divide people up and mm-hmm. get people introduced to each other. And with a crowd this big, like not everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Um, so like all of that takes time. Yeah. Dividing people up takes time. So like it makes sense to stick with the same group throughout the day. And also your activities are building upon each other. Yeah. So you're, you'll lose a lot of context if you keep switching groups. And if that mm-hmm. was a thing, then maybe that's a different, a different workshop altogether. So figuring out what your objectives are. I mean, they had some pretty clear objectives. Like they wanted their clients to feel heard. They wanted to show that they are different, a different kind of company than their clients are used to. And that like, they want to hear from them. And like, they worked, they made a whole summit around their clients, which was really cool. So the feedback from their clients was like, exactly what we were hoping for. Just like, oh my God, like I felt heard. This is amazing. Like, no one's ever done this before for us. Like, they're really touched and very happy about it. So that was like a huge win in the terms of the objectives. And we definitely got people generating a lot of ideas, which was an objective, and also, too, just a really interactive day. So, I feel like one of the things that you just described was, like, dealing with the one person in the room that says, oh, I don't want to sketch, or I've never done this before. And it's interesting to think through, like, convincing someone to draw is done at a much larger scale, because there you could just, like, almost a little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of, like... Everyone in, in the room is doing it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of like authoritarianism, which is just like, well, you don't have a choice. Yeah. But I imagine you have a lot less control over a room that big. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for people that were like, I don't want to draw or like I haven't drawn. How did you approach that? Not individually, but as a large group or did you have to? Well, the large group stuff was more presentation, setting the scene as to why we were doing what we were doing. And then in the smaller breakout groups, that's when that would come out. So we had five facilitators and 70 people. One facilitator was guiding no more than 16 people. So like 12 to 16, depending on the group composition. So for the most part, they're all ideally groups of six. So each facilitator had two groups of six pretty much to work with. I had I had two groups who were very self-startery. I mean, they didn't need my help at all, honestly. They just had personalities that were 
they're very conducive to just kind of leading and facilitating, which was like pretty freaking cool, especially because I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't even think about that part of like, I was too busy designing the workshop. And then like, I woke up that morning and I was like, oh, I have to also facilitate all the exercises too. (laughs) So that was cool. There was another facilitator though, who had, who had a table like that. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do any of the activities in that regard. Honestly, like, it's more of a bummer for their teammates than for us. I mean, this is for them. He did the right thing and was just kind of like, you know what? You do you. Like, however you find value out of this, like, do what you have to do. And again, it's just that the, the that group will just suffer. It's not really the facilitator that would in a way. Yeah. That was my attitude the whole time, which was, this is a safe space to just generate a bunch of ideas. So this is a, a guide and I had to do that. But if you don't feel comfortable doing certain things like you don't have to it's not the end of the world like just as long as you're not burnt out <laughs> that's all like you know yeah that's usually the one of the ways that i approach it too yeah. during the design sprint is i lead with the peer pressure and then i go to authoritarianism and then i go to just do whatever you want <laughs> yeah yeah totally so i guess i'm it's for them i'm pretty weak as an authority figure yeah so before the day i went to their team and i grabbed a couple of their team members who didn't do design work at the company so people who weren't familiar with the process of design thinking and ran through the presentation with them and just kind of fielded their questions first just like as a way to kind of like iterate on it before it's being given to a larger group of 70 people And that was really helpful. And we realized like it would have been really cool too to like actually run through that with more of their employees, like maybe like a few more people and then strategically disperse them throughout the groups. So now we have plants, like people who are doing the exercises who are are part of it, but they have a general sense of what's going on and they can kind of also help internally in their groups. So that's that, that would be really good to do next time. Yeah. I think. And I think in general, just you can't ever be too organized. So just more organization, I think. <laughs> um, and less, doing less. You know, we could have had a whole day on just user interviews. Right. And that would have ticked all the boxes. I really like projects, though, like that, where you could do user interviews for months. Yeah. So like, how can we distill potentially months worth of work down to 20 minutes? Yeah, totally. I think... Being more creative, too, in in terms of, again, like how to design these things. When I think design thinking, I think phases and I think phases that build upon each other. So that's what, that was kind of the theme of that workshop. But yeah, we, we could have just done one thing, honestly. And if I could do it again, I probably would do that. I probably would just pick user interviews and just do that for like morning and afternoon. And they would have gotten a lot of, out of that as well. But I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. you know? Yeah. Nice thing about stuff like this is that your knowledge of how to run them builds upon itself. Like I feel like for facilitating design sprints, the first few that I ran, I was taking shots in the dark and the more that I ran, the better I got. Definitely. Yeah. This was a whole other animal. And like, I was really happy to have that Mm -hmm. opportunity and also the other facilitators too, to be part of something like this, because I felt like I was in a very safe space to try out these things. And I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be perfect. Like, it never is. Um, <laughs> this was the first time ever doing it in this way with so many people. So it was really good experience to have 
just being excited about if I were to do it again, I know where to start from and what I would change. And it's really yeah. cool to be able to have that knowledge. Awesome. I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it was really fun putting it together. But yeah. I made a point to not really think about it, honestly, too much. <laughs> you know, just kind of like do it. For me, at least, facilitating in general is just like, I'm really excited leading up to it. I'm excited doing it. And I'm really excited when it's done. I'm just yeah. Like, oh, thank God. I know. It felt good. <laughs> felt so, I was so relieved when it was done, too. Yeah. You know, because you don't, you don't know. I mean, you could have also a group of people who just are not into it at all. Like, none of them. Ah. <laughs> but everyone was, like, doing stuff. It was so cool. That's awesome. so cool. Yeah. How's your week been? It's been pretty good. I've been documenting how we've been working on the ThoughtBot.com project. Ooh. Uh, so our own website. Love it. We've integrated a bunch of Basecamp's Shape Up project management style into mm-hmm. it. Um, and so it's sort of unique in that we're using several different words than we normally do and different process. And so one of the biggest challenges with our, our website is that we have designers and developers rotating in and out fairly quickly mm-hmm. because they'll work on it during unbooked time and we try to close that gap as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing a bunch of issues around people starting something on thoughtbot.com and not being able to finish it yeah, or needing a bunch of like the core team. So me, Lindsay, our CMO and Tyson have sort of been the core team. And now Tori, our digital marketing specialist has, has joined that core team. A lot of time from us to ramp up or someone would take a card and take it in the direction that they thought it needs to go and not have sort of the full context of what we're working on. Mm. And so me and Tyson read through Shape Up around the same time, and we both came to the same conclusions to use some of the language and some of the process that they use. So we now have, uh, we call it a shaping board, where all of our opportunities, ideas, problems get added to that board. And for the most part, the, the core team are the people who are working through some of those and sort of judging the appetite of what we want to sort of design or build next. And we'll do a couple different things during that period. One of them was something that we've been doing for a while since we started like really taking a focused look at our website, which is content audit for each page. Mm -hmm. And so talking about the audience for that page, the audience's jobs to be done for that page and how we know we've reached that outcome and what are some of the metrics for, for that outcome? Mm-hmm. And then writing out content based. So it's been, it's been very purpose-driven. And, wow. and our pr- approach has tried to be as thoughtful as possible so that we're not like just throwing out pages and not understanding why they'll be successful. Nice. So that process has now been documented of like how we're using shape up in the language and creating tasks based off of that and putting it into the thoughtbot.com Trello board. Wow. So the shape up stuff, this is from Basecamp, you said? Yep. Okay. And yeah. what is shape up? That, that's a book that you guys read? It's a book that they wrote about how they approach product okay. design development. Yep. So they, very similarly, they have a core team working on essentially like product strategy. Mm-hmm. And what that team will do is any kind of feature, new feature ideas or problems that, that get a- approached, they all go to that team and that team will individually take on 
one or two or three of those opportunities mm. and they'll, they'll shape them and they'll use different modes of essentially like thinking through the problem, thinking through what, what outcomes that they need and starting to judge what the appetite is. And they use appetite specifically for like how long a thing should take mm. or how long the company can take on that. They also use bet, uh, take on that bet. I don't know. It's a good read. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And so the, one of the things that they do that we do a little differently just because of the way that our team is set up differently. So they have teams that are once a project is shaped and the core team is willing to place the bet and has the appetite for, for that project, mm-hmm. they'll give it to a team. Um, and it sounds like their teams are, are sort of similar to ThoughtBot teams. So either one designer, one developer, or one designer, two developers. Mm -hmm. And that team will then take the shaped project and sort of build out what we would do is build out a backlog. And they they use Basecamp. (laughs) They dog food their own product. Mm -hmm. And build out essentially task lists for them to complete that project. But they have usually six weeks per cycle. So it's an interesting model about how they, they sort of build out new features for Basecamp. And I think a lot of the the language around it was particularly appealing to me. So using words like shape and they use the metaphor of like working up a hill. Okay. So while you're shaping, you're trying to basically push the project up a hill. Mm-hmm. You don't really have the context of what the whole opportunity or feature is until you've gotten to the top of the hill. Oh, yeah. And once you've gotten to the top of the hill, it's sort of like, it's downhill from there, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Okay. Like you have a view of everything that needs to be built. And so it's easier to see the finish line of, of what the project. At what point are you at the top of the hill? It differs, but mm. you're at the top of the hill when you can see all the tasks that you need to do to complete the project. Oh. Would you use this on client projects? I think I definitely will. Cool. And it's interesting to start to think about like incorporating sort of some of our other processes like research and design sprint into like a shaping themed mm-hmm. couple weeks. And then going from that to rolling into, <laughs> we've been having trouble going from like shaping to shaped. And so like some of the language are there, maybe it, it's the way that we've been talking about it, but sort of like after it's been shaped, having essentially a six weeks to deliver on MVP. Like we're already sort of in a way doing it, but I think maybe potentially could be doing a little bit better. And using that language, I think things like appetite and placing bets, Mm -hmm. because when you are placing a bet, there's inherent risk. And I think we can do a better job of of like talking through that. Yeah, I think using language around placing a bet or betting might be interesting to see how clients react to that. I like that a lot. It's a good experiment. So you and Tyson just ended up reading that separately and then realized you were reading it and then decided to use it? Or like, how yeah. did that come about? <laughs> yeah. When it came out, I think we both read it around the same time. And the whole team came to a conclusion of we needed to change how we were working. And me and Tyson, T- Tyson actually took it and did a lot of the like actual work. But he did the same thing that I was like had in my head. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. So I, I'll give him all the credit. He deserves <laughs> <Nice>. the credit. <laughs> nice job. He actually did the thing. Yeah. 
I love learning about new things like that and hearing about people who are putting into place, like just trying out new things. It's, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I look forward to your blog post, Kyle, about all these things. I submitted my blog post today. Nice. <laughs> that's amazing. What's an MVP look like for like a company's website, like a portfolio site-ish? Yeah. I know it's more than that, but... So we've broken it down into different sections of the site mm-hmm. and treated those almost as features. Okay. So we've started with things like our homepage, our services pages, and the services directory, and thinking through like what's the most minimal way that we can deliver these rethought pages, the, the, the content that's been rethought and a lot more purposeful into a sort of like a standardized format. So one Mm -hmm. of the other challenges that we originally started this process for was getting marketing involved with thoughtbot.com content creation and management. Mm -hmm. And so some of what we're doing is is planning for all of this content to be moved into a content management system. Mm -hmm. And from the design side, we had a lack of a design system or like lack of consistent components across all of our content. And so the two goals sort of aligned enough where we, we sort of kicked off the project with, with those two things in mind. Mm -hmm. And we've definitely removed a ton of extra HTML and CSS, which has been a really good feeling. How many lines? Tyson knows that number. He's been, (laughs) he's been the one to, to, to remove all the things. I feel like I read, Six to 8,000 or something. Yeah, I think it's more than that at this yeah, point. That's so cool. It's interesting to hear about the process behind making a site like this, like your own company's site. It's great. It's the first time we've had a marketing team, too, to kind of help out with the content. So that's been really awesome, I'm sure, to have that extra support mm-hmm. and perspective. Yeah. Me and Lindsay have written a, a lot of the content that's on the site now. Awesome. And it was a focused effort of us to like have a more consistent tone of voice yeah. throughout all of the, the pages and also make sure that we're measuring how good those pages are performing because mm-hmm. we had plenty of service pages that we had spun up over time yeah. that we either, because different people left, we couldn't actually do those services anymore or they were just not very core to our business and it wasn't reflected on the site. Okay. And how does this differ from the old way of updating the site, making a whole new site? <laughs> it sounds like y'all are way more, yeah, it's way more purpose driven is what you were saying. Yeah, we're taking a much bigger view of it as well. So I think part of it was just us stepping back and saying, what are what are the main goals for the site and how are we accomplishing that consistently, both on the content side and on the design side mm-hmm. across everything? Because I think the biggest issue across the entire site before was inconsistency. So people would have an idea or create an opportunity and just work on that thing and deliver it. So it sort of like became a little bit of a patchwork, yeah. both on the code and design and on the content as well. Yeah. It, it, all sort of became patchwork. 
And so this effort was mostly to make things a lot more consistent, to make it sound, look, feel like it's all coming from the same voice and brand. And just having a dedicated team is so huge. Yeah. So we don't really have a dedicated team. We have like parts of a dedicated team. And I think that that's one of the biggest benefits that have come out of this process is just making sure that that core team is meeting at least weekly to figure out what's happening on the site because we still have people rolling in and rolling off. We've just done a better job of hopefully, hopefully done a better job of, of capturing their work and maximizing the value that they can provide in that week. Yep. Are you already learning things that if you were to do a site redesign again, that you would, (laughs) you would do differently? I'm sure there are, like we would probably start with the shaping process Yeah, and it took us a little while to get to, like we have a format for our content audits and it took a little while to get to that. And so like now I know like, oh, we'll just, we'll hop in with the shaping process with this content audit process. And that content audit process is both for existing pages. So looking at how they performed in the past, but also for new pages. So when, when we spin up a new service page, a lot of that same information, like we won't have historical context or metrics, Mm -hmm. but we still want to make sure that we're purposefully like creating a page and that we have a measurement of whether it's being successful or not. Yeah. I think the biggest mind shift for me is like for the past 10 years, I haven't really designed content sites. Sure. I've been designing web applications or mobile applications. And there is a, like a huge mental model shift going from one to the other. And I didn't, I didn't realize what the difference was until dealing with our site. (laughs) Yeah, what are some of the differences? I mean, you're designing for content, for the most part, that's already been written. Mm -hmm. Or content that will be written by professional writers. Mm. So I I guess just like the amount of words, the amount of pictures, uh, it's less heavy on user interface and more heavy on readability and communicating clearly. I I think you could probably boil things down to a similar design process, but the intent of the components that you're designing is much different. Yeah, for sure. So the intent of the components and the the series of components was a lot different, I guess, for designing for content. So I, I really had to think about how each like major component interacted with the next Mm. and how one of our marketing team members might use them in combination and how they would use them in combination and all the variations and all of the different data endpoints that they'd want to put in. And sort of boiling that down to four-ish main components that they can put in and, and make varied enough so that our site still has a very interesting visual design. Yeah, I find that's like one of the hardest things too is just how do you make this really clear and readable but also interesting, <laughs> especially in terms of the different components and how they flow into each other. It is, it is interesting. And always reminding myself that like when I'm doing a mock-up and I'm seeing the whole mock-up in one screen, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're in Sketch or something, and then remembering that no one's seeing it like how I'm looking at it. Like it's on a web page <laughs> and you're only seeing one viewport at a time. <laughs> yeah. So one of the ways that we've tried to mitigate that, I've been doing, we've called it experiments in Figma. So I've been designing in Figma at a large desktop screen and not anything else. 
Yep. And the intent there is that this is guidelines for how we think we might want to implement it, but taking those guidelines from what I've done in Figma and like actually designing it in the browser, thinking about how it goes from that large desktop to smaller, how these components interact when you resize or what takes priority or so those are all decisions that are made by Tyson or the other designers that are writing the HTML and CSS. Well, that all sounds really good. <laughs> I'm excited. To, it's cool to see some pages up already, too, mm-hmm. on the site. You guys are releasing some things one at a time. Yeah, we're sort of slowly iterating on what we have and then iterating on those components, too. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to treat the website sort of as I would an app and release things in small batches. And we're already like learning from the things that we released earlier on what we could do better or what's performing really well. Will it ever be finished or is this going to be an ongoing project? Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll get to a point though, where we feel like when everything is in the components that we've designed, yeah. we'll feel a lot better about it. But like even now, new things are, are popping up. So our, our design team in New York City is going to be running a design sprint workshop. Nice. And one of the things that they're doing is t- sort of testing out some of the slices in what will be their, their workshop landing page. And so I still imagine that we'll continue to like add new content and iterate over the individual components. So one of our designers is taking, I actually just posted a dribble shot of of some of the images and it's essentially like a collage image. And I have these hand-drawn elements woven into the the images. Yeah. And right now those are just static images and he's working on creating them as individual elements on the page. And so that they might be able to like, we might be able to interact. And so there's iteration that we can do. We've, we've kind of like done the most simple thing for now, but we're iterating on, you know, both the visual design and continuing to add and iterate on the content. Is that workshop for the public or is that just internal? Yes, it'll be for the public. And I think it'll be a paid workshop. Cool. I have no idea the details around that. Maybe by the time this is released, we will. And we can uh, have Tom put them in the show notes for people. Well, cool. All good stuff. Look at us. Yeah. Good week. (laughs) (laughs) Any other closing words? Good, bad, and the ugly? The good. The bad. (laughs) And the ugly. Frosties. <laughs> I haven't had a frosty since I was like in high school. I can do this one then because I've one <laughs> right here in front of me. Yeah. So the good part about frosties is they stay frozen for a very long time. Like I'm in a warm room, I'm looking into the cup, and there's still like some substance there, which is good. Mm. Also. Yeah terrifying okay so what's the what's the bad (laughs) the bad (laughs) the bad is that i'm not convinced it's it's ice it's not really ice cream i don't know what it is it is dairy i think that's what we just said before dairy and sugar yeah so that's that and the ugly what's the ugly i mean it's fast food you know it's that's tough Mm. i feel like you missed an opportunity for the good 
Like the good is dipping warm yes, French fries into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me take a look at those because they've been in a bag for the past 45 minutes. Let me see. Oh. I like that we got the little crumple sound in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of it. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're a little, they're not as hot. But the Wendy's Frosty is still cold, so more on that. <laughs> That's good, bad, and ugly all together. How, how is that going to pan out? <laughs> I don't know. I'm now part wonder Frosty. If the internet, yeah, I wonder if the internet like has tested out like how long a Frosty will stay frozen at room temperature. I mean, I could just do it. I'll let you know in like a half an hour. Okay. Next <laughs> <I'm> tentative. Not... <laughs> yes. This is <laughs> This is why people tune in experiments i like that we should do an experiment next week we'll we'll share the results of the the frosty experiment yeah i like that we'll do something that would take 45 minutes and then we'll start it and then end it at the episode and see what happens (laughs) get a different milkshake from a different company okay i'm fine with you can do the next time though i can't be drinking all these milkshakes i mean come on okay i mean i could but (laughs) no i don't want to (laughs) So you can find show notes at tentative.fm slash 84. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us at hosts at tentative.fm. And you can rate us five stars on iTunes. (laughs) Think of your favorite Disney podcasts that you really love so much and then rate us that rating. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Anyway, so good to talk to you, Kyle. Always nice to talk to you too. Thank you all for listening. Yes, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, Come discover a better way to work.